This is the one with the butcher of the bone meadows. Rock opera. The restaurant at the end of the episode. A seven galaxy cruise. A sonic trowel. A very irritable bowel. Audible frowning. Cross arms. Sentient laser swords. A two and a half decade shagathon. And a damsel in distress. It's called the Husbands of River Song. Here, Here we go. <laughs> you can do better than that. <laughs> okay. Here, Here we go. We're still on our epic race. All through time and all through space. We're slipping and angels now. Dalek, Cyber, Zood and wow! Counting Sonic's rating apps. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whittaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be but who back when? Who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, and all in between and beyond, you lucky people, you've chanced upon another fantastic episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or dog past. Das stimmt. Ja, das stimmt. <laughs> <laughs> episode N130, The Husbands of River Song. Wouldn't you know there's still more good fortune in this grab bag of delights? There are four co-hosts on this review tonight. I am but one. I am Drew McWen. And in Berlin, I have two companions, and they are respectively... It's Marie! And it's Jim. Hello, the wonderful Marie and the gentleman Jim. And holding us all together, Hello. geographically and cosmically, in Oxford, it's the man himself, the amazing... The blushing! It's me, it's Leon, hi! <laughs> Hello, Drew, hello, Marie, hello, Jim, hello, Podcastland! Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Holy moly! Last Hands episode. up, who else heard us review this episode today? Yeah, me too. Do it, me. It's <laughs> not really a visual audio, medium. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to ask you two, Leon and Marie, to stop me short if I end up inadvertently repeating anything I might have said back in 2015 to podcast okay, chagrin. It was mostly about Nick Frost as Santa Claus and a bit of Star Trek, so you're fine. Those aren't even in the episode. And I only listened to it with half an ear whilst working today. No, I didn't, manager. That's right. Well oh. done, me. <laughs> so oh, I okay. missed a lot of it. We'll be all right then. We can't help but be original. Mm. So this podcast is worth your hearing, podcast land. Listen on for the next one and a half to six hours and we'll prove it to your earbuds. <laughs> Should we start with a B scale? Let's do it. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview, this free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? The Doctor has landed on Mendorax Delora specifically to criticize its lackluster choirs. But the Glasgow Grinch is quickly dragged Atlas first into adventure when he's mistaken for a surgeon by the nebbish Nardirl, gibbering goon to queen for a day, River Song. Not recognising whichever ordinal number husband of hers the Doctor is, she is quick to introduce him to his next patient, King Hydroflax, murderous monarch, bloodthirsty bionic bastard, and her husband, who's on the brink of vacating his throne for good. With the most valuable diamond in the universe lodged in his cerebellum, a river would quite like Hydrofax's crackpot cranium removed and for sale. And whatever his cook-ordered qualms, Doc is in for the ride. If only his wife had room for one more headshot in her wallet. Hilarity ensues. <laughs> this guy, Arthur, you are welcome. That was a Christmas rendition. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Worthy of King's College, Cambridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the other place. 
<laughs> Who else has introductory questions? I wouldn't see fit to question a Christmas episode, Leon. You know that. Berlin? Can I ask why it's a Christmas theme? Obviously, it's a Christmas episode, but why is Christmas in this episode when it's in the far-flung future and in alien locations the whole time? Because it's a human colony, Jim. It popped up on the screen and said so. It takes place at Christmas. Several Christmases. I have a question. On the end planet, Derillium, where night lasts for 24 years, yep. Doc can only get a table on Christmas Day. <gasps> no! How long does Christmas Day last? Oh, wow! I have such a similar question. I have such a similar question. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, are you suggesting that every day is Christmas Day there? Well, it doesn't make any sense to me that there would be the concept of a Christmas Day when, yeah. That's true. A night lasts for, oh, only the nights last for 24 or 20 years or whatever it was. 41 years. 24 years. That's the one. First try. Only the nights. The days, their regular length. But surely you'd... Dark-ass planet. (laughs) Exactly. Surely every day would be Christmas then, because you'd have to wait 24 years for the next one. So when she says four Christmases from now, Mm. does she actually mean 96 years away? Well, she ages very slowly. You'd think it would be (laughs) slightly more than a more mature haircut that she was sporting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe she's not human. Who knows? Maybe also, her eyes would be enormous if she's from Derillium. <laughs> it's dark 96% of the time. Yeah, so maybe that part isn't true then. But <laughs> I do feel like towards the end of the episode, for just that brief exchange with her, with the what concierge, that's the word, they just forget about. Like they hadn't at that point in the redrafting process come up with the idea of the 40, 20, whatever, something with a four in it, year-long day. I think it was more they were just like, shit, this episode is not Christmassy. How can we shoehorn Christmas into it? I know. Have a table we'll on make Christmas it happen Day. On Christmas. It's basically, it's the Die Hard rule. Why is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Because of everything in it. But... <laughs> Sorry, this energy drink is really kicking in. I'm going to make sense in a little bit. I have a different question, but on the exact same subject, and I feel like these two kind of overlap a little bit, and that is, why has every single day been reserved except Christmas Day? <laughs> that seems like the day that the restaurant would always be packed. Well, because if you're in America, that's when you go to the movies. Or used to. But this isn't in America. This is on a different planet. Do you know how <laughs> high their Christmas Day board price is? It's in the billions of credits. Yeah, all right. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'd need a, a fair chunk of the Halassi Andrevar itself just to book a table on Christmas Day. Not even just any table, but the balcony table, the best table in the entire galaxy. Absolutely. Is the Doctor known to them now? Because we don't meet the chap whose restaurant it is again, right? So has he just given over his entire fortune to invest in this restaurant, but then not received any credit for it? And is the doctor known to this restaurant at this point? When he goes there in the future, when the restaurant has been built and there is a free table for Christmas Day, weird, is he known to the restaurant? Like, is there always a table there for him, except every other day? (laughs) there should be i mean he's the whole reason it exists you should just reserve that balcony table indefinitely for whenever he wants to rock up and have dinner that seems like bad business sense yeah in fact the whole (laughs) restaurant should be a giant replica of the doctor's head and the balcony should be his eyebrow ridge that you get to sit on you get to sit on the doctor's famous eyebrows (laughs) 
we don't see the outside of it. Maybe it is. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe they couldn't quite afford that CG shot. Oh. <laughs> what a scene, though. Right? I liked, yeah, that was such a lovely... You're jumping right to the good bit, but yeah, oh, I love yeah, that yeah. The scene with the guy and he hands over the diamond and he says, you know, make this into a restaurant. That was really beautiful. And I really liked the jumping forward incrementally in the TARDIS as well, which we don't very often see. And quite often we will enter a show with them coming back from, oh, we just had this meal in this fancy restaurant that there's a four-year waiting list for and saw this incredible thing, but we never get to witness it. So it was really nice to be there and to just enjoy the spectacle. Yeah, that's it, the spectacle. We just had this amazing scene. My goodness, it was beautiful. If only someone else could have been there to share it with us. Yeah, this definitely has that caliber. Sorry, this is so right to the end, but I love that scene between those two. Well, skipping back from that a minute, I think that I really enjoyed the jumping ahead moments, especially when the doctor said, have you got a reservation? And she says, not for four years. And you know exactly what's going to (laughs) happen. And it's funny. And it's the only understated moment of humor in the entire 56 minutes. The only bit that doesn't shove a custard pie in your face and goes, this is where you laugh, splat, splat, splat up your nose. (laughs) And then walk back a second later to explain that it was a joke. Ah, wait, am I understanding this correctly? Did you guys not find this to be as fun a romp as I did? Oh no, that was a sigh in case the microphones didn't catch it. That was a sigh from Berlin, podcast land. I am partly agreeing, I think. I said to Marie after we watched it the first time around, because we watched it twice, that I actually liked how brazen it was with this is a fun bit. I didn't have to cringe at something that tried to be intentionally good and then ended up being crap. It was just like, oh, no, we're doing stupid. Here you go. Here's some stupid. (laughs) Yeah, and back in 2015, this would have been very refreshing after the Clara Weepathon. And, oh, Clara's back, and then the second Clara Weepathon. And I think you always have to give it, we always say this about a Christmas episode, it's the time you sit down with the family and the kids are there and grandma's there and it's got to appeal to everyone. So it is always a little bit lighter in tone, usually. Even by those standards, isn't this a knockout episode? This it's like, not a knockout. I, I mean, I don't take this as seriously as I would any non-holiday special, but for a holiday special, in fact, like in general, it's a good episode, I think, but even for a new Who holiday special... I thought this was a delight to watch. This was a serious romp and a half. I'll give you a romp, but not the extra half. Fair enough. Oh, sorry, <laughs> Olive. Actually, listening back to your guys' review last time you reviewed it, I think the general consensus was it started quite slow and then picked up the pace and it got funnier as it went along. And I think I totally agree with that. And I think a large part of that is to do with River. And as soon as she comes in, she's very clearly hiding that it's her. So she doesn't even sound like her. She's got the hood over her eyes and the doctor has to peep under. I disagree with that point. Do I recognize you? Not that she's not recognizable, but it doesn't sound like her. Something's changed about her tone of voice. And I think for the whole first section, she's not the cheeky, flirty, winky river that we know and love that will manipulate everyone to get what she wants and use her sexuality. She is so straight and cold and distanced. And I know that that partly is she's playing a role, playing this queen to King Hydrofax's role. But every time we've seen her with the Doctor, she is so much fun to watch. But she does it with other people as well. She flirts with the guards when she's in prison and she manipulates her way out of jail cells all the time. And just that element of fun was missing from her character for the first little section, I thought. I weirdly disagree with both parts of that statement. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm really sorry. <laughs> I felt that that was definitely part of her persona from the start. I thought she was very playful and seductive and manipulative and all of those things. But I thought the scene with her wearing the hood and everything, I thought that was mega naff. Crazy bananas, super naff, and I wish they had done it differently. Oh <laughs> Obviously, it was really naff. I wasn't saying it was good. Oh, okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> it, no, what I'm saying is, like, it felt like she was trying to disguise her voice so that he could say, oh, do I recognize you? Rather than if she'd have just spoken a normal voice, it would have been really clear straight away who it was. Okay. But to me, she sounded really different. I think oh, I just not missed to that. Me. Yeah. yeah, she could have tried harder. I think she maybe dropped half a semitone at most. <laughs> I thought she was great. Hey, if you're listening, River Song, I don't care that that's not your real name. I thought you were great. I'm really Alex buzzing Kingston. off energy drinks. We love you, Alex Kingston. <laughs> I thought you were great at the end. <laughs> I don't blame you, Alex. Poor direction. Sorry. No. Uh, <laughs> oh, here we go again. Good direction. <laughs> that's not her being bad. That's her playing what that character is meant to be doing at that point, isn't it? She's meant to be pretending to be something else. It's just weird to see that in this episode because that's not how we normally see her no, do you know, I, manipulate situations. That gets you so far, but the very first meeting is with her. Nardole stood behind her and the doctor who she thinks is the surgeon that she's hired to do this job. And so the surgeon's obviously in on it. He knows that he's here to kill this king. And Nardole's her right-hand man. He knows what the plot is all along. So there's nothing to hide at that point. There's no one else there. And she's still got this pretense up. So that's why that scene feels weird to me. I get that in the scene when there's four billion people watching, yes, she behaves differently there and that's fine. But it's just that first meeting. It just feels like it's played to be a shock reveal and it just completely falls flat. Yeah, I'll tell you why that scene feels weird to me. This giant spaceship has crashed just outside of town. Very clearly the king of that planet is on it and nobody comes outside to pay homage or do anything. I think that is part of the Christmas miracle of Doctor Who. I think you can get away with that sort of stuff in a Christmas episode. I Not think when Who Back When are reviewing it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I, 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 I'm okay with it. <laughs> it's slightly less stupid than calling the planet Christmas, so I'll give it that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I looked up the director, by the way, Douglas McKinnon. Douglas McKinnon, this is the last of his episodes. He directed the following. The Centauran Stratagem and the Poison Sky, The Power of Three, Cold War, Listen, Time Heist, Flatline, and this. That's quite a resume. It's a fair collection. Yeah. Oh, that's very squeaky. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, is no one worried that there is a clearly murderous surgeon just stalking the innocent streets of <laughs> Menderat Della? Such a good point. <laughs> oh, I quite enjoyed that little scene when the surgeon's just wandering around lost. <laughs> someone looking in, for like, Kenyan London. Is the surgeon played by anyone significant in Doctor Who history? Because I feel like that would be the easiest cameo in the world for some distinguished Uh alum. I don't know. I didn't look him up. Okay, I'm on it. Get on it. I wonder how this chap was recruited. At some point, a missive is sent to this actual surgeon. There is a contract in it that basically says, Hi, you're going to go to a flying saucer, meet an intergalactic crazy robot king who is dying because he has a diamond in his head and I want you to chop his head off. (laughs) But don't tell anyone. And don't call me by my name. 
<laughs> and he just goes, I feel like yeah, all right. I feel like that's fine because River's obviously on the cruise ship where you have to be a mass murderer to get invited. And so she obviously runs in these circles and she knows some very sketchy people. So of course she's going to know. It. Like when she says best surgeon in the world, he's obviously the best surgeon for the underworld and he'll cut limbs off for you and sell you organs. And he's got uh-huh. no. So he's not from more... this planet necessarily. He might be. Yeah, I get it. Okay, right. So she found him on the dark web. Exactly. Okay, cool. That makes perfect sense. Oh, this is excellent. This episode is getting even better in my head, thanks to you guys. (laughs) Oh, that's not really what I was intending. (laughs) (laughs) I can't find who played the surgeon. It's an ongoing mystery. JD, write in and let us know. You'll know. (laughs) Oh, JD. (laughs) I disagreed with a point that JD made in our first review of this. Oh, what a semi-divine segue. And this also ties back to the previous conversation topic. So in more than one way, this is a step back. But he made the point that not only does River Song have tw- 24... Tw- is it 24? I, I'm never going to remember this number. What is wrong with you? It's I don't number know. number in a I, day. I, I had lunch and dinner comprised of peanut butter and jam sandwiches, okay? And I'm super buzzing off knockoff shit energy drink from Sainsbury. I can't even speak. Anyway, his argument was <laughs> <laughs> that not only does she have... 24 years <laughs> on this planet, she has all the time in the world because she also has a time machine. And that seems like Clara logic to me. That seems like the kind of Clara logic that I dislike. And I don't Moffat think that's just the case. busted us up with the previous episode's Clara logic to make this acceptable. As if this is the sort of thing that happens in the universe every week slash month or so. But I don't think that's the case here. I think... If that were the case, then that would take away from the Doctor's delivery of and River's reception of 24 years. All of a sudden, that means nothing. Because it could be like, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, actually, nights here are like 20 minutes long. But what does it matter? Because we have a time machine and we can travel everywhere. Yeah, Yeah, this is just the last night we spend together, but it's not the last brunch. I mean, that's really what I'm going to (laughs) miss. Either way, my point is, I think she has 24... Fuck... 24 years left? (laughs) Nah, it's not 24. Yes, it is 24. What's wrong with you? I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, sorry. Agree to disagree, JD. Yeah, she very carefully says, our last night together. So it's not either of them are dying. It's just that they won't spend the night together again. But we know that she goes on from here to go to the library where she does die. So the doctor knows what it means for her, but she's not fully aware of it. To her, it's just the last time potentially I will see this man, which is fully heartbreaking in its own right. So it's, yeah, 24 years. I think she takes that as 24 years on this planet to spend with you now and then we'll go our separate ways. Yeah. 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 Let's put it as we are really invested in this scene having dramatic weight and meaning. So if we can think of a charitable interpretation that glosses over however many dozens of bookings Big Finish make with Alex Kingston in the future (laughs) in favor of it being heartfelt and sentimental and really meaningful, then let's do it. Yeah, because she's already addressed the whole I have a time machine in a very lovely scene early on where she's about to steal his TARDIS and he goes, you can't just steal a box you know yeah. someone's gonna miss it and she says no like well he's never missed it before and oh, i love that real- line i absolutely I love that line oh great dawning realization that every time he's been off on an adventure and he's left the tardis parked safely somewhere yeah she's, she's gone off and had a big finish audiobook <laughs> yeah i love it <laughs> 
So she's fully aware what time travel can mean and what 24 years really means for them. But yeah, I think this is something separate. I think they have the conversation where she's asking him to change stuff to also cement it. She knows there are things that can't be changed as well. She's traveled enough with the doctor, knows about these fixed points and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, they have to accept that if something's immovable, you can't move it. And this is their last night together. Yeah, and I really, really love that conversation actually coming off the back of everything we've just gone through with Clara, watching it this close back to back. And it does feel like the lengths that he went to to try and save Clara and then in the end, you know, realize it wasn't possible. And it does feel like this is his growth moment. He spent four billion years learning a lesson. And now River is the most important person in the world to him. He says in this episode, I would save you over any other soul on the planet, basically, like you are worth more than anybody else alive. But he won't change the future for her because he's learned his lesson. Yeah, and it's also nice to see that the series won't just keep going in that direction and we're going to get something new next time. Yeah. In a semi-related point, I did wonder, so the scene where they're escaping from the crashing ship and River is sent off to the TARDIS and she brings the TARDIS back. Oh, um, which is the best. Which is amazing. The best scene. <laughs> Let's just describe that scene quickly. Okay. You, you talk about the scene and I'll try and... Everyone lean back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the ship's crashing and they're trying to save it and River's there and she's got it all under control and he basically tricks her. He's like, hold this for a sec and then zooms her into the TARDIS and she's like, oh no, you're not having any of that. And he's done it in his mind to save her because she's precious. And immediately she comes back, materializes the TARDIS around him, puts him in the TARDIS and pops out the door. And it's just perfect, perfect comic timing. That is an understated funny moment, I think, Drew, as well. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. But also, also, you should consider yeah. a career in audio description. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I do do this whenever I've watched a film without Joe, actually. <laughs> My favorite thing to do. Why did either um, of them need then, to yeah, be in the cockpit? They're trying to rescue the ship. The genocidal maniacs. Exactly. Oh, and I then see. they make this decision that we're running out of time. Neither of us are going to do this. One of us has to sacrifice the other to save this ship. And at one point they turn and look at each other. And I think River goes, shall we put back in the TARDIS then? <laughs> and they've just decided, okay, we're more important to each other to save each other than to try and save this ship of homicidal maniacs. And it's just oh, such a beautiful scene and does show... So the last conversation we had about Clara and the hybrid and they push each other to these great lengths and it feels like this is a visual representation of what that should have felt like is that they will keep coming back for each other and they feel like each other, they're more important. He says, you're more important than anyone on the ship and anyone on, basically in the universe. Yeah, that's what I wanted from the Clara and the hybrid scene is to see each other constantly one-upping each other to save the other. Yeah, no dice home slice, but I think it was done really well in this one. Yeah. But then the thing I wondered with that, though, was is this them showing another reason? Well, actually, no, we don't have a reason why Doctor and River don't really travel together. But is this trying to piggyback on the ideas they set up with Clara that Doc will go to these great lengths and it's dangerous and he needs to be saved from himself and they're a bad combination, all that kind of stuff. Are they trying to show that with River as well to say, and this is why Doc doesn't travel with River, because they see each other above every other life form and they would go to great lengths to save each other and they might ruin the universe sort of thing. exactly what they did with Clara then. It is, but I just feel like they pulled it off more with River in this one scene than they did the entire time they were trying to build it up with Clara. Possibly, Um, but I don't think that was even their primary intention. Can I cite at this moment the Knight of the Doctor, if you remember that, Leon, if you can recall that from... (laughs) Wow, I I mean, oh, holy moly, taking me to task here. Go on. (laughs) 
<laughs> when I Google Paul McGann is trying to convince someone in a crashing spaceship to get in the TARDIS. Yeah. And he just straight up crashes with her just out of solidarity. So I don't feel like this is out of the Doctor's character just because he's traveling with River Song for half an hour. This is just what he does. No, no, but it's the it's the opposite because he doesn't crash in the ship. They both get into the TARDIS to save each other. Oh, Jim. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but also, and I, I think mean, the point is whenever he's in a situation where it looks like everybody's going to die and you know, I've got to find a way to save them. He works till the last second and he won't give up. But because he's made this distinction that River is more important than everyone else, then if they travel together, he would give up earlier because he would save her before he would save anybody else. But the other thing is that River's shown throughout her time on the show and in this episode as well, that she has a very, very dubious moral compass. And he always uses his companions as his kind of moral grounding and centering. And it's like they know what's important. And she doesn't have that. She will happily wipe out a ship of homicidal maniacs. She will happily kill a guy to get to the diamond in his head because also a genocidal monarch. Yeah, she wouldn't just murder anyone for a diamond. No, no, no. And partly it was like, oh, he was dying anyway. So that's a line that none of his companions would have done. You wouldn't kill someone. If they were dying anyway, maybe you wouldn't go to great lengths to save them. But you wouldn't kill a guy for monetary value, which is exactly what she does. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Amy Pond killed Madame Kavarian just because she was a mother. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that was a bit different. (laughs) Yeah, see, and where does River get it from then? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot that they were related. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, all ties together remarkably well. Well done, Moff. I'd also like to point out that we don't know everyone on that ship is bad because, like people like to point out, the Death Star, there's a crew running these things. No, no, no. It said all the stuff. Yeah, even the stuff so all... had well... dabbled in genocide at some point. Uh, Although, I do in a different vein, the criteria was you have to have killed multiple people. And as we know, the Doctor has killed multiple people through one form or another. He is the enemy of a lot of people. He's, He's the, the oncoming of storm. Yeah. Exactly. So he could probably legitimately get a ticket for this ship. It doesn't mean he's a bad guy. He's just been in some tricky... That's true, but he's like totally travelling incognito, isn't he? Yeah, Yeah. Murray, I'm not accepting your Wreck-It Ralph reasoning. Just because Doctor is bad guy does not make him a bad guy. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I think the idea is that everyone on the ship is supposed to be a bad guy. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Including River. She's got a legitimate ticket to this thing because she's killed multiple people. Ah, but they killed more people than she did, so in a way she's saving future deaths. (laughs) (laughs) She's a utilitarian saint. I was going to say that I really liked the way that the staff turned on the Doctor and said, you want a head? I can get you the universe's primo head. That really appealed (laughs) to my Saturday morning cartoons. Of course that's what happens at this point. <laughs> I really liked one of the wait staff was walking towards camera and had this lovely, beautiful smile for all the guests. And as soon as the guest went out of shot, he just frowned. His face dropped entirely. That felt very accurate to me. Oh, um, I didn't see that. Have you worked in catering, Marie? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't actually. <laughs> I can just imagine it. <laughs> but no, that was, again, a very subtle, almost too subtle for some, Drew. <laughs> <level of humor. laughs> oh, no, I'll take your point. 
Yeah, sorry. Um, another... Drew, same here. Didn't notice anything. Oh, Jim, did you notice? It. Come on, Jim. I did notice, actually. Oh, I bet you Marie told him. I bet you Marie told him. But no, my issue with the staff, well, that scene actually was, okay, so the guy is going, I can get you the best head in all the world. I've got the info. Um, I can give you the best head in the universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Yeah, wh- where do I sign? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just had a scene where Nardle basically said, I will give you all the information. I will freely and willingly tell you anything you want. I'll even write it down for you. And he goes, nah, I can just kill you and take you anyway. And then it's the same argument applied. He goes, I can tell you where the best head in the universe is. And it works this time. And he should have ah, just killed him. But the guy says, if you spare me. Whereas Nardole no. didn't make that stipulation, I thought. But it's knowledge, basically. Anything that he knows, as soon as you plug the head in, that knowledge becomes the robot's knowledge. So you don't need to give him permission. You don't need to say, yes. I'll give you this information. I'm really enjoying the to... Marie and Jim Educate Drew Hour because I am learning a lot. <laughs> I have a counter. Okay. Once you've absorbed that knowledge, you don't need the head. So why store two heads inside your torso when you've already absorbed all of their knowledge, which is the only reason you chopped them off in the first place? Anywho, I was going to say something else. Uh, I don't oh. think that there's a legitimate counter-counter to this. But no, okay, sorry. Go for it, Jim. I was just going to say, are they not just like USB sticks? Maybe it's not got a very big hard drive that it keeps them around just to access. You plug in the head and then, yeah. And you have to feed it every now and then inside. Yeah, that's weird. But he did reuse Nardle to confirm that the Doctor and River knew each other. Oh, that's true. Dang, habits. Okay, I've been schooled as well. I'm sorry I keep defending this episode. (laughs) I don't mean to be. But my other thing was that he currently doesn't have a main head. Like, the king is not there. And so he's got these spare heads for now. They're not good heads. He doesn't want them. But it's better than nothing. So maybe he's just keeping around for now. I quite like that as a concept because it makes the king pardon the expression, a figurehead. He's, <laughs> he's almost an abstract concept. Whatever personality inhabits this robot, even the robot itself is addressed as the king. I think that's fantastic. I think this is a really interesting point, actually, because they talk to the robot without a head there and reference him as the king. When the robot body is talking to the head and he realizes the head is dying and the head says, okay, what can I do to save me? And the robot goes, okay, to save me, as in the robot, I will kill you, the head. I don't think so. I think to save the concept of King Hydroflax. Exactly. It's like to save the king, like long live the king sort of thing. Yeah. And so the fact that the robot can kill the head and still carry on living, to me, says that they are two separate entities. However, my basic issue is when we're in the TARDIS and the head's inside and the body's outside and the TARDIS won't fly because it recognizes one life form. Yeah, that was bullshit. I don't understand how is that I liked it. Did you? Damn it. Can we not agree on anything today? No, no. (laughs) (laughs) I agree that conceptually it's a stretch, but I liked the lengths Moffat went to to come up with something to ground that TARDIS there, and I was happy to buy it. Mm. I liked the concept, but yeah, I just didn't... The ease with which the body killed the head, to me, it didn't all fit together. It needed something to say his physical body is still in some form in that suit. 
because the way it's presented in the episode is that thing's basically a robot. Mm. I feel like what it needed was a sci-fi wibbly-wobbly that was connecting the two. Like It shouldn't be a case of the TARDIS can recognize the metaphysical connection between two parts of one whole. It should be like, oh no, he's got a wibbly-wobbly implanted in his neck that is connected on a different ether plane to the wibbly-wobbly inside the robot's torso. That's why we are stuck here. Like They are keeping us here. But but they didn't do that. We've had other occasions where one part of a whole can be separated via the TARDIS. The Doctor's hand springs to mind. That's two parts of a whole. I'm pretty sure we've had members of some sort of gestalt creature in the TARDIS as well. It's like, oh yeah, but you're just one part of a whole, but you are still able to be separated from it. I don't feel like the TARDIS should be able to do that sort of stuff. I think it should because that way you can never trap your fingers in the door. It will always just come to rest on it and give you time to pull it in and be like, thanks, TARDIS. I don't think so. I think you can trap your fingers in the door. You just can't fly away. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. But can I take us back to that scene that we were in like 15 minutes ago when they're talking to... 24 years ago. They're talking to the robots. (laughs) This is the scene where she is basically forced to defend the doctor by criticizing him, exalting him by clarifying how lacking in emotions and humanity is. It's such a beautiful scene where she is talking about, oh, you don't expect the sunrise to look back at you in admiration or whatever it is she says. It's just such an absolutely beautiful monologue. And while she is delivering it, Capaldi is doing so much face acting. It's incredible. It's astonishing to just watch Capaldi. Capaldi it up! If you drew back when, is this the first time outside of Paul McGann Leon has used a Doctor actor's surname as a verb? It's the ultimate compliment. Well done, Peter Capaldi. Bing bong. It is so big. It's incredible. And then towards the end, just as a little cherry on top, he just goes, hello, sweetie. And oh, oh. Uh, my heart was aching inside my nuts. It was the most satisfying <laughs> experience ever. It was insane. And the look on her face. And also, brava Alex Kingston, who then almost immediately, like you can see micro acting happening in her face where she's like calculating. Oh, shit. Yes, I was wrong the whole time. Oh, my goodness. That was really embarrassing and awkward. Oh, my goodness. I love this man. Oh, my goodness. He loves me. Oh, my goodness. We now need to collaborate. Oh, my goodness. We have an extra strategy. Fantastic stuff. Anyway, sorry. Now I got that off my chest. Now you guys go. (laughs) No, loud. Let's talk more about that because that's a fucking awesome scene and we yes, need to it talk is. about it. My goodness. Yes, it is. My question was, you started that out by saying that she's talking about all this stuff to big up the doctor whilst at the same time making their connection seem like he's not going to come. Do you think that that's a ploy that she's just trying to tell them, oh, he won't come for me because he doesn't love me? Or do you think in that moment that she genuinely believes that? I think she believes that in that moment. I don't think that she knows that he is the doctor. No, I think you're right. And I know that this is a characteristic of her because there have been other scenes, like with Matt Smith, there were scenes where she just assumed that whenever she's in peril, he will be there. Like when she throws herself out an airlock and she just knows that he's going to pick her up. That's crazy bananas, lady. What are you doing? That's insane. But here, she hasn't had any means to contact Matt Smith and she doesn't know that there will be another iteration of the Doctor. So, yeah, yeah, I think she means it. Yeah, because I was going to bring up that point and I was reluctant to because I don't want to put a negative spin on this scene because I love it so much. But it doesn't fit with what we've seen of her before. But she expected to see the doctor here and now. I don't know why, but she's got an idea that he's going to be in this space. 
and they couldn't find him. His TARDIS is there, but he's not. And oh, his TARDIS, added, you're right. Uh, yeah. So, so wait, do they know that the TARDIS getting... is there? Who? The peeps on the cruise liner. Do they know the TARDIS? I feel like if they know about the Doctor, they must know about the TARDIS. They've just helped park it. There's a TARDIS <laughs> in, the, in the cupboard. Ask the valet! <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm talking more about her. So she's seen the TARDIS, she knows he's there, but he hasn't come to find her. She's been looking for him and she can't find him. And then add to that that she's got literally a handful of pages left in her diary. And so she's coming to realise that he won't always be there in the future. Like, my relationship with him is coming to a close because this diary is coming to a close. And she doesn't know that that means she's going to die soon. She just knows that means that the relationship's over. So I think maybe it's her questioning. Like, back then I trusted him and I would launch myself out of a flying object and assume he would pick me up in his TARDIS but the relationship is or has changed maybe she hasn't seen him for a while and maybe she's starting to doubt that back then it was really strong and it's now getting less and less I don't think it's that I think it's that in that scene the airlock one in the airlock episode she had sent exact spatio-temporal coordinates to Matt Smith she had inscribed them in a some ancient wall or whatever it was. It was in that museum, yeah. So she had yeah. sent him a message, knew exactly, like, hey, it's, you know, here, dropping a pin, go here. And therefore she knows that she's going to be rescued. But in this case, she hasn't had that chance. However, this brings up a different question, I think. Something that maybe you guys thought about this. I didn't think about this. She knows that that's his TARDIS. Back on the planet. Where Hydroflax crashed, landed, whatever. Like, she knows that his TARDIS is there, so she knows the Doctor, someone up until Matt Smith, is on that planet. Is that just a coinkydink? Because she doesn't seem to need him. I mean, she steals the TARDIS. Yeah, but she's going to take it back. She says this is where we most nearly intersect with the Doctor's timeline. This is where the strongest trace of him is. Whatever. So I think her plan, it could be the meteor shower hits. She gets off the ship somehow. It crashes on the planet. I don't know whether she knows it's Derillium or not. Then she gets the TARDIS once it's crashed and then buggers off back to human colony, whatever it is. Maybe? I think she's probably expecting to take the TARDIS out of there. I completely missed that line with like, oh, this is where our timelines intersect. But now I'm thinking, okay, she's specifically gone there to decapitate her husband because she knows there's a getaway vehicle. Like, the TARDIS is just the car that's kept running outside the bank. That's all it is. Yeah, the husband, what's his name? Ramon. Ramon, yeah. I thought his name was Rimmer in the beginning. Let's come back to him. He sort of says, oh, we can get out by this other means. And she says, no, 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 I specifically need the TARDIS. I need a time travel machine. Yeah, you're right. You're right. She has the plan and it involves the TARDIS. And she wants the Doctor to be there. But when they can't find him, it's like, okay, the next best thing is I can steal his TARDIS. And she's done this multiple times before. So I get the impression from this that she knows where her and his time streams are most likely to intersect. And that's kind of where she hangs out. And sometimes she sees him, sometimes she doesn't. But either way, she's going on a trip in the TARDIS and she's going to have an adventure of her own. Oh, yeah, she is. (laughs) Did you say you wanted to talk about Ramon? Ramon! If we have to. You're the one who wants to talk about him. I wanted to say how crap he was. Um, So, basically... Yeah. I didn't Forced. care about him. <laughs> there we go. He achieved nothing. There's no point to him being there. River is married to the doctor at this point, and I accept oh, I married this other guy for the rock in his head and blah blah blah. And so the dude for the rock in his pants. Oh yeah. <laughs> 
But I like the idea that she's always married for a strategic advantage. So she loves the doctor. He has her heart and soul, but she still lives her life outside of that. And she will marry someone if she can gain something from it. And Ramon just has nothing to offer. Who is Ramon? He doesn't do there's anything. A, He's a bit. There's a spaceship or something that took her. No, maybe not that. I don't know. Oh, she can get a spaceship anywhere she wants. The yeah. thing about Ramon is that he's moderately handsome and is a foil for Nardole, always going. <laughs> <laughs> I really like Nardole. Oh, no. Am I the only one who liked Nardole? I really like Nardole. Okay, I really Mar- like Nardole too. <laughs> Marie's o- on my side. Jim, Jim, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. I think I mostly like them. Score. Bingo. Think- I'm up for that. The first time I watched this, I remember being so, so irritated by him, and I did not like him at all. Mm-hmm. But when he comes back later, I remember really warming to him and being quite surprised how much I liked him. And I said, before we rewatched this episode, I was like, I wonder how I feel about Nardole this time. And actually, yeah, I didn't mind him. Well, that's the thing. Think- Nardole's future development justifies him being quite so crap at this point. I rewatched Extremis from Series 10 not too long ago, and in that, he's pretty excellent. But the first time around, like you said, I found him insufferable. And when he came back from Mysterio, <laughs> and then again for Series 10, I was like, stop with the Nardole. You've had so many chances. Go away. You're worse than Mark Gatiss. But in the end, he was actually much better than Mark Gatiss. That's <laughs> 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 <As> a review. <laughs> I agree with the latter part of that statement, and I really liked Nardole from the get-go in this one. Actually, you know what? I don't remember how I felt about him in January 2016. An innocent time. But holy moly, did I enjoy him today. Yeah, I quite enjoyed him. I just didn't quite understand how people let him be there like when i can't remember how many eyes are watching through the television screens is it thousands millions billions billions Billions. and the guy that's in the background bringing in the surgeon is this doddering weirdo with a bobble hat and it's like no this is our grand king hydrofax (laughs) who's that fucking get him out that's the queen's (laughs) eunuch you know (laughs) that's exactly what he is they could have made a point of look at this man clearly he has no testicles either surgically or genetically he is no threat to the king that's why i've brought him aboard today (laughs) i think that's a horrible thing to say about a brilliant actor and a great future companion he was awesome (laughs) there were bits of novel i really like like when he came up when it was his turn, yeah, and he came up through the suit and was going, and doing his sweaty, oh, it's very whiffy down there. Yeah, can oh, I stay no. up here a little bit? Oh, no, I guess not. Oh, it stinks. <laughs> he was tailor-made for that. Well done. But the rest of the time, it was just like, oh, stop gibbering, you... Oh, it's very one note. That was an odd moment in this episode for me when he is first decapitated and the fact that he's walking around on a robot like he has no control over he's gone he's just like uh, what are they called not the headless monks but like the heads the heads in boxes he's just like them like the blue chap already forgotten his name everything's gone how many years that's the guy Um, that is some seriously horrific body horror that is really creepy stuff my note about that section was isn't this such a massive tactical error you have a person here that wants to cut your head off and steal it for a diamond so you're just gonna take your head off and pop it on the table in front of them <laughs> yeah like, that's why, pretty terrible why yeah, wouldn't they run away with it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah that maybe wasn't the best move on the king's part 
now we've mentioned it as well, do we not feel like this is a bit of a rehash? The idea of heads coming off and still being able to talk. And then you've got what basically look like warrior monks with swords. Yes. As, yeah. In, the in headless the monks. The yeah. Guards. These dudes have sentient lasers. What? What is that? Sentient laser swords and genetically engineered anger problems. <laughs> <laughs> Do you hear this chuckle? That's how good that is. Well done, Moffat. Well done. <laughs> First time Leon said that, apparently. <laughs> so good. Yeah, I totally missed that. <laughs> I think I was busy writing sentient lasers. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why you need to pause it and go back and listen again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> didn't. Okay, we've talked about Capaldi's facial acting. Yes. Can we talk about his bigger on the inside acting? Oh, loved it! Oh my goodness! Oh, <laughs> I thought that was fun. Wait, you look so skeptical, dude. Are you talking to me? Yeah. No, I I'm waiting were... for Berlin to have their opinion. Oh, sorry. I thought you. I just saw you got it. Wait, okay, uh, I'll try and recreate shocked hands on face excitement again, great at all radio. In, in, in my speech by just saying again, oh, squee! <laughs> you loved it. Yeah, isn't that wonderful seeing Doc be so excited about getting to have a reaction and then to get a little cheap dig in at the end and say, that's how it's going to be done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If everyone was as good an actor as Peter frickin' Capaldi, which they're not because he's amazing. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I love that in that scene also, he just gets cut short by the fact that she already knows where there's a hidden bar that apparently he doesn't even know about. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Don't tell daddy. <laughs> I, I love whenever River's in the toilet and she can fly it better than him. It just gives me so much joy. <laughs> Segwaying into other river love. So we've already talked about the wonderful shot where we're seeing Capaldi react to river talking. The scene where they're watching the singing mountains, monoliths, whatever. We get the exact same thing flipped. Capaldi is talking off screen and you're watching Alex Kingston yeah. react to things. And she is equally brilliant. Yeah. Like Those two in this episode are just fantastic. They have tremendous chemistry. Yeah. yeah, they do. That final scene is absolutely amazing. Do you think there's an element of, no offense to anyone, but age appropriateness? <laughs> like, it, it, Who are you trying to offend? <laughs> either one of those two, or Matt Smith, <laughs> or Tennant. <laughs> do you think maybe these two simply are slightly more, almost like they're, they're just a bit of fit? Now, I think River Song and Alex Kingston both equally... Uh, enough to overwhelm any arguments against she can't have anyone she wants. She can absolutely have anyone she wants of any legal age. Absolutely. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes I agree, but I don't and think speak. that that's necessarily mirrored in the doctors whom she is with. I heard this with half an ear earlier today. I know that we talked about this in the first review as well, and I know that JD said that Matt Smith was less of a husband and more of a, almost a a son. <laughs> like, there's something really weird and filial slash maternal about their relationship. It's, oh yeah, this is when you, my husband, are way younger than when I met you, you know, or when we married, you know, that sort of thing. Oh, I don't know. I would argue in The Marriage of River Song is where you see Matt Smith really grow up and actually talk to River as an equal. 
I think yeah. if we were to rewatch that, we would say, oh, that's some pretty good acting slash chemistry there as well. I bet you I we think, did say right, that. I think that, yeah, that episode is a, probably a standout. And I think that generally when you look back over River's time with the younger doctors, the difference is that she knows exactly who they are. And she is a lot further ahead in their relationship than they are. So you see Tennant going, who the heck is this woman and why do you know me? And then Matt Smith going, I've met you once or twice, but why are you talking to me as if we're married? And she's like, because we are. But like, she can't tell him that. And so there's an imbalance of power there. Whereas in this one, it's interesting to see Capaldi knowing her and her having no idea but she knows who the doctor is and she is fully in love and in awe of the doctor. And so when you get that moment of recognition between them all, you cement that relationship and that's when you see them as equals. And they both at this point have basically the same level of memories of each other. And yeah, so yeah. If, a, if you discount the four and a half billion years he's abruptly aged, this is the one time where they've been married for about the same duration. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a very weird sentence. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not necessarily the younger actors not being able to catch up with her as an actress but it's that their characters aren't as developed as her along in the relationship for the most part I reckon there's a little bit of both I love that argument by the way I love the fact that this it bookends it in a perfect reversal of their I guess power dynamic I love that. That's a super good reading. But I do think that there's an element of maturity in the Doctor, in Capaldi, that you don't necessarily get with Matt Smith. I'm sure that we talked about this when Matt Smith met her as well. I'm sure that we talked about the fantastic acting on on his part, on both parts. But I do think that Capaldi is the Doctor who settles down, who gets married. Matt Smith is the Doctor who's like, what? I get married one day? I think for and that then reason, River teaches this is a... him all the positions that he never knew before, and he's like, "Well, the universe has nothing left to give me." Yeah, uh, this wasn't always a bow tie. This started off as a cravat. It's super duper weird. The, the... Sorry, sorry. We just watched that episode of Parks and Rec where Ron gets back together with Tammy too. <laughs> he looks like he's choked <laughs> off his moustache, and he says, "This was rubbed off by friction, son." <laughs> it's like, <"Whoa." laughs> Oh, that's super hot. I've never and seen Parks and Rec, but that's super hot. <laughs> you should absolutely watch Parks and Rec. It's so, so good. <laughs> also, be watching it currently, Drew. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, Just imagining the amount of friction it takes to rub off a mustache. <laughs> oh. Excellent. I knew I was growing this for a reason. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Next time we see you, you're going to have a little gap here. Well, I wish. So the 24-year-long night that is to ensue now, this is their wedding night. This is when, I mean, during these 24 years, they are going to get married, right? Yeah, they're already married. She married Matt Smith. Oh, she married Matt Smith? Yes, yeah. in the wedding of River Song. Oh, I totally yeah, forgot. there's a whole episode about it, Leon. <laughs> That's why it's husbands. Like they're they're already husband and wife. Well, That's why he's there really are three of them. The so I'm sorry. Because he walks up and they go, "Oh yeah, her husband in the next room," and he's like, "But I'm here. What do you mean, her husband? And I'm her husband." And he's yeah. There's a whole joke you missed. <laughs> yeah, right. Don't mind me. <laughs> Another bullet point. Just to go back into the Matt Smith behaving a bit younger thing. I had to double check this. He does refer to her as Mrs. Robinson. I think maybe <gasps> jokingly, but obviously there is an acknowledgement there. Which is super weird for him because 
he is however many thousand years old at this point and we know that he doesn't see people he sees clara as a roundish shape he um (laughs) to river this episode oh yeah you've put your hair up there something like that's the best he can call with a compliment yeah your hair is a different shape yeah so it's weird for him to acknowledge age that he looks younger because he doesn't acknowledge it for anybody else. Like, it's a weird comment. Yeah. But I really did like, we glossed over it, River laying it on really thick. My one true love, the only husband I will ever have. I mean, who says that except someone incredibly guilty and lying out of their ass? <laughs> <laughs> Totally away. I'm reassured, yet not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someone who intends to get married as soon as the ink is dry on your death certificate. Yeah. <laughs> and the weird old, I'm married to Ramon, but he can't remember it because I wiped his memory, and yet he still calls me Dr. Song. Could it just be that she never married him? That, that was just a lie. No, that's what you want. I, really, I kind of hope so. Yeah. She was like, this robot's got no dick. I need a husband with a dick. My one husband with a dick is lost in time. <laughs> like, as much as I hated Ramon, because I think mostly the actor was a bit shit. Sorry, whoever you were. He really um, didn't bring anything to the role, really. I don't think it was no. a particularly meaty role to begin with. Yeah, I mean, They needed someone with a three-day shadow who was like, yeah, hey, I'll do anything for you. Don't. Yeah, but sometimes actors can elevate the cameo into something really memorable. Oh, can they, Drew? Oh, can they? I feel like you have told me the exact opposite. Ramon is nondescript. Yeah, you, I think I do feel a bit sorry for Ramon because he ends up being a mechanical doorman. I don't know. Or Yeah, that's or, a shit gig. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and also really happy to be one. Yeah. Sort why of? doesn't he yeah. or Nardole try to extricate themselves from this situation? Well, because oh, he's only a head. What do you want him to do? Anything else. <laughs> like, <laughs> only a head on a giant robot body which he controls. Yeah. With... And there's a vacant monarchy somewhere. I mean, he hasn't taken over. He isn't sitting on it a really... throne. No, he should be. It really stressed me out that the body was really beaten up and had all the like war wounds from we crash landed a spaceship. They're in this really, really fancy restaurant that costs a billion credits for a table. They can't just give him a new paint job. Yeah, or like slap a white shirt on him. <laughs> just like a gigantic <laughs> shirt. <laughs> I would have preferred that. And a black apron. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which uh, exposes the robot behind. Oh. <laughs> in a little saucy pair. No, why can't they give him a different body? Like a, a exactly. more normal size, less juggernauty yeah, form. Yeah, why can't they give them a body each? Oh, that, yeah, this is my <laughs> point. Just lop yeah. the heads off a couple of Cybermen. Yeah. Just build a new one or do anything. Like it would be a better life to just be a head on a table than to have to spend half of eternity inside a slightly whiffy metal cage. That just doesn't sound nice in any way. No, it does not. Maybe there's like a VR thing down there. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Also better experienced in a box. Anyway. What did we think about Scratch et al? That's the guys that unzipped the head, is it? Yeah. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was very cool when he goes to... You see the line across his head, and I immediately thought of that snake guy. And I was like, oh, is it another one of those? He's going to unfurl. And then, no, he just pulls half of his skull off. And the sound it makes is so visceral, and you can just hear it like... 
Oh, yeah, the, oh those yeah. are some sexy amount of wet sounds. In there. <laughs> really hot stuff. It was a stringy. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, that stringy slime. Oh, that is some good stuff. Love it. <laughs> I, I love the I shot of just like the eyeball when the head is open and the eyeball is looking towards the opening. Oh, <laughs> so this is this is the shoal of the Winter Harmony who reappear in the next Christmas special. Oh, do they? Yeah, they are the baddie of the next one. Great. Mm. <laughs> we'll get to that. Yes, we will. We've already done it as well. But yeah, I haven't done it. I'm gonna do it a new one. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I'm just saying podcast land, get ready. <laughs> All right. Zip. <laughs> okay. <laughs> was that a zip or an unzip? Oh, sorry. That's an unzip. <laughs> yeah, but, I thought it was. But unfortunately, my zip makes the same noise going up or down. <laughs> I've been trying to... This is really what I want. I want to design... Sorry, this is a slight tangent from Doctor Who. I want to design a, a slight zip. tangent. Very, very, very slight tangent. <laughs> I want to design a zip. I want someone out there in the world. There must be some really good garment engineers in podcast land. I want one of you to design me a zip that sounds different going up to going down. That's all I want. And then a I can retire and, and die. A zip and a zoop would be good enough. Perfect. Yeah. So that you get like a Pavlovian response in your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe the zip has a little, like it turns a corner. So before it turns the corner, it goes un. So it's like unzip. <laughs> oh, that's so clever. Yeah. Hop to it, podcast land. Anyway, yeah, sorry. Back to Doctor Who. <laughs> oh, I thought this was Dragon's Den. <laughs> <laughs> oh, on the subject of sartorial excellence, end scene in the restaurant. That is a seriously ill-fitting suit. Yes. Why did he wear that? Is that a callback to something? Trouser? That's what I was thinking. Well. Like, are you deliberately looking like a hobo? Like, well, what is this? That's a horrible thing to say. Because yeah, otherwise it's just a really bad suit. His normal outfit is way better fitting and classier than that suit. Yeah, his coat is so... He looks so dapper. I want that velvet coat. It is a beautiful, beautiful look. So clearly he knows about stuff fitting him. Tailoring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he isn't entirely oblivious yeah. to fashion. So, yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing to wear towards the end. I love that you guys all noticed and I didn't have a clue. Drew's like, yeah, he's got a suit on. <laughs> well done. Yeah, I made a note. It was, oh, he's wearing a proper suit. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it was a future suit? Was it not an ill-fitting suit? It was a future suit, and it just looked wonky to eyes that, for some reason, cannot accept that this is science fiction and fashion changes over space and time. In like 5,000 years, we'll be like, dude, those suits are so cool. Why yeah. Do, why, why do <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that suit is really lit. Yeah, whatever, granddad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. People in the 80s are watching this going, where are the shoulder pads, man? Oh, man, where is it? <laughs> <laughs> Look how slender that guy's shoulders are. <laughs> Same scene, another reference to it. The line, or the line exchange, I hate you, no, you don't. To me, that is on par with I love you, I know. As soon as you said it, I was like, oh, I should have said I know. That would have been better. No. What? I hate you, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so romantic. <laughs> I have been married a long time. Yeah, let's get married. We're already married. Did you forget that episode? Oh, sorry, shit, I did forget that episode. <laughs> I'm much older than I was before. <laughs> 
But no, yeah, it was a brilliant, brilliant exchange. Love that. Oh. And it, Not to say negative things, really, about the last scene, because no, I don't no, want to. Don't. But in the vein of, why is he wearing this terrible suit? Did anyone spot a table in this restaurant where they're going to eat? Only a table upon which he deposits the sonic screwdriver. That's the but only is it table. set up for eating? <laughs> oh. They've yeah, got probably. 24 years, Jim. They're not <laughs> rushing. <laughs> Mike has never been younger, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, because that's the revelation at the end for River, is that it's going to last 24 years. Shouldn't she be wondering in going, oh, and um, where are we going to sit and listen to the music? Yeah. They just go to the balcony and there's no table or anything. No candlelight, <laughs> no wine, no champagne. No other patrons. Like and things. It's beautiful, Jim. <laughs> oh, yeah. The sheer density of Christmas decorations is really striking. Yeah. Yeah. That's also, what I was looking at when I should have been looking at his ill-fitting tailoring. Yeah, they take fairy lights to the next level. There are just not-so levels of fairy lights in this place. Jim is obsessed with fairy lights. This is like Jim's dream house. <laughs> I do like a bit of fairy, light of fairy lights. Oh, well, podcast land now, you know what to get Jim for next Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding, he would adore that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that you go to this planet, you're like, oh, okay, this music, it's it's lovely. The singing, these singing is uh, stones, it, they're beautiful. Lovely? But not even 24 years. After like 24 minutes, don't you go, Do they ever shut up? Could, <laughs> <laughs> could we maybe get a table on the other side of the restaurant? <laughs> We've got 24 years of the one track that they can provide us. Like, like Maybe go elsewhere. Well, I was going to say, when somebody talked about taking something to the next level a moment ago, the music, they really didn't. Oh. At least in my opinion. Was anyone else enchanted by it? I wasn't in love with the music they were using at the start when it was kind of comedy mode. Um, I think the rest of it, I think the dramatic scenes, the one-on-one scenes between Capaldi and Kinks, I think those soundtracks were quite good. The last scene, it really felt like the dramatic build-up to an epic romance, like a blockbuster film. It felt so familiar. Well, I, I wasn't even talking yeah, about so. the sorry the music for the episode in general. I just meant the singing towers of Derillium themselves were really uh, underwhelming. Like this is supposed to be this galaxy-wide famous geological feature, and it's yeah. just going a bit like. Yeah, this was Noah Carton. They could have yeah. <laughs> they could have done this so much better. There's a tree in Burnley that sings, and that's really famous, and people come from miles around to see that. And it's not really as good as the trees there. So I do believe that a natural <laughs> phenomenon that sings. And it sounds like people sing. It sounded like a choir, I thought. It did, yeah. Like it was singing a song. Yeah. Yeah. I thought That's the doctor's explanation for it, though, was utter horseshit. <laughs> when he's like, oh, yeah, no, it has something to do with how far apart they are. And I guess maybe how tall they are. He's just yeah, showing no up shit, on doctor. his no shit, It's like... <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, I know all about this. Yeah, you're going to go to bed with me later, aren't you? If I just spot more facts at you, that's, that's what I'm going. <laughs> he's there, he's done all the maths, and he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm one singing rock tower away from getting laid. Holy moly. I need one rock fact. <laughs> oh, what kind of rock facts can I have? Like, he's like flipping through his geology book. He's like, oh, oh, it's about how far apart they are, like the spacing between them. Oh, yeah, bing bong, like the sound the knicker clacks on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't seen my wife in a while. I've sort of forgotten how to woo her. What is it that really seals the deal? Mansplaining. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> oh, if only there were a chair and I could like just spread my legs really wide. <laughs> 
Bing bong, that's mansplaining, not manspreading. Bing bong. But I, I really liked that he was stringing her along and stringing her along and making her think that there would be no hope just so he could do that smug little smile exactly as she describes because she does know him that well. And at first I thought that he was just being clueless Capaldi. Like he, he has no idea how emotions work or how humans do their hair or anything. But he knew exactly what he was doing the whole time. Yeah. It, was, it was a really nice uh, sucker punch. I also had, I haven't rewatched Silence in the Library or the second part of it, perhaps. But where Tennant, he gets a realization that he can save her, in a sense, by like plugging her into the virtual reality thing. And I can picture him having a big grin on his face and going, oh my god, and then like running across and saving the day. And I, I wasn't sure if it was an intentional reference to that as well. It's like foreshadowing, this is literally what he's going to do to save River. Yeah. Oh, mm. Jim, bringing it back around. Ooh. Also, I didn't mean to sound disparaging about Burnley. The singing ringing tree is definitely worth a visit. You should all go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because there's nothing else in Burnley to see. That's what Marie's saying. <laughs> I mean, all you've got is some really little tree going, I'm a tree in Burnley. Fucking squirrels, bugger <laughs> off. <laughs> I was going to pick up on earlier when Capaldi starts off this episode with a sign hanging out of the TARDIS saying carol singers will be criticised. And he doesn't criticise the singing rocks at the end when they're just oh, as crap, if not worse. That would have been a, a perfect book ending. Untrue. Come on. <laughs> just saying, he could have had that restaurant built anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> It's only because there's a giant, craggy, Glaswegian face that is staring at the towers that intimidates people into thinking, oh, oh, I'd, I'd better compliment it or this thing might come to life. <laughs> <laughs> or it might frown the eyebrow we're stood on and we'll fall off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had a thing right at the beginning of the episode. These hologrammatic antlers, they don't yeah. make any sense. Why would the TARDIS, to cheer Capaldi up, put a hologram on his head that he couldn't see? That is literally my first bullet point. Verbatim. <laughs> so, check. We've been doing this quite a while. <laughs> yeah, why would the TARDIS do that? Yeah, we, I guess we do know the TARDIS has a personality, but it is quite uncharacteristic of the TARDIS. Yeah, and the TARDIS is the Doctor's wife, and there are quite enough marital relationships in this episode already without bringing that one into it. This episode should be called The Wives of the Doctor. <laughs> In get certain what? countries, I'm it's sure it was called that. Sorry, Jim, carry on. I, say, I get what you're saying about the antlers on the head. He couldn't see them, so they're not going to cheer him up. But he, he was aware of them. Maybe the intention was that, ah, you're wearing antlers. It's fun. Come on. But I took that as more as a, a little hint into why he's there. So the TARDIS has put him there because it will make him happy. And the reason he's going to be happy is because River is there. Oh, Jim, that's in my mind. Oh, yes, Jim. I like it. Because TARDIS knows best. I like it too. Yeah, you know what I didn't like though? That scene where Capaldi and Kingston are just laugh, laugh, laughing away at the head in the bag, going, I haven't laughed in ages. Because <laughs> he hasn't laughed in ages. They spent four billion years punching a block of ice. <laughs> you find literally I mean, anything funny that... at this point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, the bar's been lowered. A head in a <laughs> duffel bag. That's peak comedy for this chap now. I'm sure the TARDIS has some VHSs of Chuckle Vision kicking around. It'd <laughs> <laughs> be much better at this stage. Oh, okay. I've got a question about Greg Davis. All right. 
It's Hydroflex. Greg we've barely, Davis. We've barely talked about him. This is true. It's weird that Greg Davis is a giant man. He's six foot eight or six foot ten or something like that. And okay, he might be in the robot at certain points, but we never see his enormous body. We just see his head. It's really weird. But yeah. apart from that, how yeah. do you think he did? I thought he did really well. I'm not familiar with his oeuvre, though. I don't really know who he is. And I was not familiar with his height. Can you read lips, Drew? I can't. I have no idea what's going on. Okay. I'm just deciding whether to name drop or not. Go for it. Name drop away. Do it. Well, we sort of know Greg Davis via one of his best mates is one of our mates. In fact, you've Ooh. probably both of you have met him at one point. Do you remember Pete Bellingham being to some of my birthday parties? Really lovely chap. Really lovely chap. Aww. Nicest chap. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, he's super good bros with Greg Davis. So oh, cool. we can't say anything about him. <laughs> so we love you, Greg. <laughs> but also, he was really funny in this, I thought. I laughed a lot. I think he played exactly what he needs to play. It's just not a great role, really. I don't know. No, it, it was a bit weird. I, I thought it, was, it wasn't good. He was good in that he delivered all his lines with vitriol and venom and imperial regality. But most of the time he was in the bag or asleep. The one thing I really liked was when the doctor dropped the head on the floor and I thought, oh, it's just the model. And then he, his head starts talking on the floor and it's obviously his head. <laughs> so we completely by surprise. I have nothing negative to say about this character or the so actor. Say something positive, dude. I've been trying to for the past hour and a half. I thought he was fun. This is a Christmas episode baddie. It absolutely fit the bill. It was excellent. Yeah. It was really fun. The biggest compliment I can play him is that when he delivered one line, and I can't remember exactly which, I was reminded ever so slightly of Rick Mail. I had the same thing. <laughs> hey! No, I have no idea, but I definitely got a Rick Mail collection at one point. Yeah. And he must have starred with Rick Mail in Man Down at this point, so he was probably channeling him a bit as well. Well done, Greg Davis. Well done. Keep the flame alive. Yeah. <laughs> Good work. Oh, good. No, I'm glad, because I think in your original review, nobody was as happy with Greg Davis. Oh, really? And so I was like, I'm going to have to jump in and defend him, because I do really super like Greg Davis, but I'm glad everybody liked him this time. I need to re-listen to this other review. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> most Leon, of it just completely seen... escaped me. Leon, have you never seen The Inbetweeners? No, I've never seen it. He's he... good in The Inbetweeners, yeah. Yeah, he's the teacher. He's amazing. He used to be a teacher. Yeah. And chuckle vision, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, really? Well, that's not why I was dropping that. Yeah, he played Henry VIII in an episode of Chuckle Vision. I can um, believe that. What? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I did not know that. <laughs> Without listening back to 2015 me, I think perhaps I was comparing him unfavorably to how great he was in The Inbetweeners, etc. And I just started watching Taskmaster, and he's great in that as well. Yeah. But it's because of the role. It's not because of yeah. any deficiency on his part. He gave this role everything, but there wasn't any more he could do with it. Yeah. I do wonder if the other thing is... Greg Davis and Matt Lucas were incredibly high profile at the time. Like they were appearing in new things quite frequently. And it does wear a bit on you sometimes. But I have not seen either of them in anything for a very long time. And it was kind of like, ah, oh, these guys, nice. It was a bit nostalgic. Yeah. Hmm. Not to say that their careers have dropped off. Or <laughs> no, we no. did see Matt Lucas in something. Matt Mickelson film. We did. Well, Matt, we were halfway through watching a film called Polar, and he plays some kingpin. Kingpin. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. This is the assassin movie, is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
I've got two pieces of trivia about this one. Let's hear them. Okay. Trivia point number one, it's a threefer. This is according to IMDb. Three actors were dubbed in this one, and I did not notice a single one of them being dubbed. First, we have Chris Luham Hall, who played Alphonse, who is the chap whose restaurant it is. He was dubbed. Then we have Rowan Polonsky, not Roman Polanski, Rowan <laughs> Polonsky, who played Fleming. He was dubbed. Fleming was dubbed. Apparently so. And then we have Robert Curtis, a.k.a. Scratch, was also dubbed. The first two, they're dubbed by named actors, but according to IMDb, Robert Curtis was just dubbed by, quote, another actor. So, yeah, I didn't notice any of them. I wonder if this is fake trivia. It might be, but it, maybe it's not, and that's mind-blowing. Anyway, so that's point number one. Point number two is, did you guys watch Community? Of course. We've had this conversation. Yeah. What about Berlin? Marie and Jim have only like watched it. Series 1. Yeah, and for some reason... Half of series one. Half of series. Give it a shot. It's fantastic. That if was you, the shot. I don't want <laughs> once, to. Once you get a few seasons in, you will encounter a parody version of Doctor Who called Professor Spacetime. Ah. It's like straight up a take on Doctor Who. And they go to a Professor Spacetime convention where they meet uber Professor Spacetime fan played by Matt Lucas. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. Cool. Shall we rate this? Yeah, let's do that. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 Ratings. Go ahead, Jim. Take it away, Jim. <laughs> so I've been nominated to go first in the uh, rating section. So what the hell do I think? I think I quite enjoyed this episode, actually. It does have a bit of a weird pacing to it, I suppose. Like it starts off very much focusing on the fun and silly. And like I said before, I didn't really mind that because it was advertised fully as fun and silly. You knew what you were getting and I mostly enjoyed that. And throughout, I think actually everyone was doing what they were asked to do pretty well. I think there were flaky moments in what they were being asked to do, perhaps. <laughs> the head in the bag doesn't always get the last they think it does, but you know, everyone was performing admirably for their roles. Yeah, there was enough substance in this episode, even though it's a 56 minute long episode, to keep me entertained throughout. And yeah, a little bits were more filary than others, but it was absolutely worth it to get the story constructing around River and the 13th Doctor getting to just perform together to have not adventures together necessarily but moments together and we get to watch that we get to see two actors performing incredibly well on their own and as a coupling and it was just absolute joy to behold it and so i would struggle to bottom out this review because that's just so so high entertainment value just the scenes that they're in the little bits of action that lead to those moments happening and all that kind of stuff so in my mind i think i was fresh out of watching this the first time maybe like a middling four. Second time maybe a little bit down to earth a low four. after a little bit of digestion and discussion i probably can't quite get into the fours anymore so i go with a 3.9 fair play very nice jim very nice strong Marie wants to go go for it I was very confused by this episode. I didn't really know what to make of it. So I've had to resort to maths to get a rating. So <laughs> I call this review a trilogy in four parts. Part one, we have <laughs> the first 25 minutes of total bullshit where everyone's trying to be funny and failing miserably. And 
there's a guy in a robot suit for some reason and River's been all awkward and non flirty and I don't like that and it's all a mess and I don't like it and it's a circa one star episode. Whoa. Part two, we get okay. cruise ship. Ooh, interesting. This is a nice setting, like the cruise. Like spritz a bit of perfume and do a Cinderella change and get a nice dress on. That's pretty cool. Some nice lines, some nice dialogue, some nice monsters. I mean, there's still some a bit naff parts, like the whole, I made a joke. Did you hear that that was a joke? Let me just come back and explain to you that that was a joke. So, um, you know, strong but middling. So I give that a three. Then we have the moment where River is pouring her heart out and is having this emotional scene. And the doctor just does this slow meandering towards her until he stood right next to her. And she turns around and she realizes who he is. And bam! From that moment, we have chemistry. We have the Doc and River together as a team and they're working for it and they're loving it and they light up the screen and together they are the perfect partnership and they are adorable. And the only thing I can take away from this scene... No, wait. Yeah. This is the bit where they make the terrible joke because it comes right after the terrible solution to the problem, which is I'm going to put the banking data right into the robot body and all the firewalls in history are going to make him collapse. That was the resolution. We forgot to mention that, but that's a bit naff. So (laughs) acting spot on. Resolution, bit naff. So I'm going to give that section a four. And then we get to (laughs) Derillium which is just amazing and beautiful and made me cry and just so powerful and emotional. And I'm sure there are things there. I'm sure people have said bad things about it, but I don't want to listen to you because <laughs> it's heartfelt and gorgeous and I love it. So I'm giving that area a five. <gasps> and <laughs> we get a combined average of 3.25, which I will generously round up. <laughs> so we get a 3.3 <laughs> for today. Wow. Mm. I wasn't following along with the maths, so I, I had forgotten prior scores when, when you got to the end. And he's like, oh, and I gave that part a five. I was not expecting you to end on a 3.3. <laughs> the one really pulled down my average, it, I yeah, I, I, it, yeah, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's because stuff. it takes up a lot of the episode as well. The last 10 minutes is phenomenal, but it's a 56-minute episode. Yeah, one of my notes was that I remembered this being more of a madcap chase across the entire universe, but we're still on this planet after 23 minutes. <laughs> this is another Christmas episode with a fast-talking, scenery-chewing ginger. What's not to like? Well, as Marie said, it does start off slowly and wobbly and slapdash. And even if you're in the right mood, some of it's pretty lame. But it peaks at the right time. Moffat is on an impressive streak of dramatic irony right now. Last week, Capaldi was talking about how he would definitely be able to reconstruct Clara from the void in his memories, and it was so tragic that we couldn't even process it. But this week, River does the same thing, and it ends with him sweetly saying, Hello, sweetie. And it was perfect. I gave this episode 3.5 in 2015, and I think it's improved with age for a number of reasons. One, Nardole got better, although he was truly rubbish here. And River never came back in TV Who, at least. So had I listened to River Song Audio Adventures non-stop ever since, I might feel differently. But we'll never get more 12 or River Song in TV Who in future. So I'm quite happy now to look back more fondly on this as one of their highlights. And of course, there is next year's Christmas episode to compare it to. (laughs) 
Plus, there are so many good lines. Capaldi hisses at Nardole, don't make puddles. River asks, any questions? And he goes, which alphabet? <laughs> and then, wouldn't it be a great universe if sarcasm helped? River says, any man would automatically believe a story they're the hero of? Check. The more you read of my diary, the longer I'll take to kill you. So do please keep going. I'm an archaeologist from the future. I dug you up. It was just hit after hit at that point. On the other hand, it's a bit less of a freewheeling romp than my memory had led me to believe. There are really only three locations plus the TARDIS, and a few of the lines, conversely, are quite forced. Recommendation? Chill. Could have done without that. I'm the doctor. You'd better be. You've got an operation to perform. Da-da-da-da-da-da. You're talking about murdering someone. No, I'm not. I'm actually murdering someone. So, in total, I'll bump it up just slightly to it because it's nominally Christmassy. 3.8. Oh, good stuff. Yeah, I love so many of those lines are in my notes as well. It's just like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. (laughs) Okay, fine. I've just looked up, when you mentioned what you gave this back in January 2016, Drew, I suddenly realized, holy moly, I'd forgotten that we rated this. I looked up. I also gave it a 3.5 back then. I don't know what's happened in the year since then, but... I think I like this more than I did back then. To me, this was a really fun Christmas romp. The damsel in distress and the archaeologist, they are spiffing to behold on screen. Do you know what? I'm not even going to bother looking up when we last saw River on, on screen. And don't tell me, because it is both so incredibly long ago, as in like too long ago, and just long ago enough for her return appearance on screen to actually sort of awaken something in me. Like my heart was warmed by seeing her. Like, oh yes, it's River. I'm so thrilled. There's tangible, palpable chemistry between the protagonists. Fantastic stuff. Great line deliveries from both to others and to each other. I also wrote down the witch alphabet bits. I'll kill the lights, you kill the patient. I loved, by the way, her, like, oh, I found this place in history's finest exploding restaurants. That's <laughs> really fun little gag. Noddle, also a delight, in my opinion. I don't remember what I thought back then. I will listen back to it, and I'm sure I disagree with myself. Podcast Land Drew is hanging himself on Skype right now. But I'm really looking forward to having him join Team TARDIS on a regular basis. Okay, overall, I, I will keep this quick because it's been a week and my energy drink is starting to fade. So <laughs> oh, this is where my bullet points turn into pictograms. Okay, so this episode delivered exactly the kind of jaunty highs that I enjoy in a Christmas special that I don't necessarily need to take super seriously. I, for one, loved the humor in this one. There were moments when I laughed out loud. And don't ask me to quote any such moments right now, because I can't think of them. But I did. And even though this episode got schmaltzy in places, it never went too far for my liking. So I think it delivered. Part of the reason for that, I think, and I also saw this in the trivia, is that this was originally intended to be Moff's final Doctor Who adventure. He was going to hand over to the next showrunner after this, which is why he ties up loose ends. He wraps up the River Song narrative. But I feel like he also goes all out. This is a bombastic episode to end on. And for that reason, I am going into the fours. I'm giving this a 4.1. <gasps> What? <laughs> nice. You have the biggest heart of all. Or maybe you don't. Oh, Marie, what a segue. Let's hear what Podcast Land has to say. Let's do that. This is now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Thank you so much, Podcast Land. We have six awesome listener minis tonight. Woohoo! Whoa! Woohoo! Time six. You mean whoop, 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 whoop. And the first whoop is from Awesome Alfie. Hello, Alfie. Hi. 
Alfie Begins, one of the best Christmas episodes. I liked the snowy intro, as it was rather Christmassy. It was nice to see River again, but her sexism wasn't appreciated, but I'm not going to lose sleep over it. It was nice to see the photos of all the other Doctors, including, say it with me, the Seventh Doctor. Leon. I'm so sorry, Michael. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I liked the big red robot, continues Alfie, or cyborg body, but the head was distracting. Oh, well. It was a bit annoying that they kept going on with River, not knowing he's the Doctor. Finally, it had a nice ending. This episode is a three. Ooh. That's two threes in a row. <laughs> and that was from the Sonic Troll using gun head alien hating catchphrase stealing awesome Alfie. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome, Alfie. Thank you very much. Who we got next? Why it's Kieran Evans. Hi, I think Kieran. you mean Kieran Evans, but sure. <laughs> Hello, Kieran. <laughs> oh, is that because I did that wrong last week? Yeah. From now I can't see his name without thinking of lithium ions. <laughs> oh, I was reading the app. I like KJ Evans. Evans. KJ Evans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you cut that out? You did not. <laughs> oh, did I not? Did I leave it? Oh, okay. You're welcome. <laughs> Kieran starts, hi folks, so a post-Series 9 Clara palate cleanser. Yeah. While I don't think this is one of the best, it's fun enough, especially re-watching it for this mini. The stunt casting of Matt Lucas and Greg Davies mostly works for this, though I feel Lucas is given much better material in Series 10. River and 12 get on so well. I actually like her here. I went off her during Series 6. The scene where the Doctor bursts out laughing in the snow is a really nice one. Thank you, Kieran. I like that opinion. <laughs> Don't mistake silence for consent in this situation. <laughs> Kieran continues. Just tying off the Doctor River arc is just nice. It underlines it properly and allows us to move on. I'm in two minds over the alternative title sequence with the snow and the bauble planets. Like, it's a bit naff, but I didn't notice it on the original transmission, so it isn't offensive or anything. Kieran concludes the plot is a bit loose, but nothing really offensive. And as much as I dislike saying it, it's a Christmas special, so I'll let it off. 3.2 out of 5. I'm surprised by this. I don't think I would have gone that high back in 2015. Excellent review, Kieran. Yeah, good stuff. (laughs) Cheers, Kieran. People who are not Kieran, are they able to learn anything about electric vans? Or how can people who are not Kieran get in touch with Kieran? (laughs) Well, you can find Kieran on KJE Vans, too. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) On Twitter, slash, in the heart of the industrial estate. (laughs) (laughs) Who's next? Why, next up we have Michael French. Hello, Michael. Hello, Hello, Michael. Thanks for coming back again. Woohoo! Good work, Michael. And Michael begins. This episode was simply wonderful. If we are rating it on how Christmassy it feels, I think it's about the third best, not counting regenerations. I loved seeing River again, although... Considering we found out later in the episode that she's recently come back from New York, not to mention the fact that the next chronological time she sees the Doctor will be her last, that doesn't leave a lot of room for her to return, considering this is the first time she's seen this face of the Doctor. But then again, we got Jack back for the Series 12 New Year special, so who knows? 
Michael continues, My favourite parts in chronological order are when the Doctor gets to pretend to not know what he's walking into when he's going into the TARDIS. The amount of scene-chewing is glorious, followed by when River talks about how much she loves the Doctor and how he doesn't, but then realises he's right there! And then finally by finding out that a night on Derillium is 24 years long. It almost brings a tear to the eye! Yeah, I'm with That's you. Brilliant. Yeah, A hundred million percent agree. <laughs> And Michael continues saying, I know I haven't talked about many of the negatives, but I really can't think of many that actually bother me, except maybe the Sonic Trail. I don't know if I love it or if it's the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> With all that being said, I give this episode 4.27 heads to put on a robot out of five. <laughs> <laughs> excellent rating scale and an excellent rating. <laughs> Michael French is the complete package. <laughs> Thank you very much, Michael. Next up, we have the... Eddie Rock. Mm, yes, we do. Eddie begins, Hey, who back when? I know in my reviews I often have what Leon would refer to as a huge heart. But in this case, spoilers, it's a massive heart! Hooray! <laughs> Someone call a cardiologist! <laughs> this is easily one of my all-time favourite episodes. It is the epitome of all the best things Doctor Who has to offer. The epic action had me on the edge of my seat. The sharp, quick-witted humour had me in tears. The good kind. The heart-wrenching emotion had me in tears. The sad kind. Oh. Both River and the Doctor are on the absolute top of their games. Davis's Hydroflax was a blast. And who doesn't love Nardole? Drew! <laughs> That's right! <laughs> 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 Did you guys appreciate my commitment? I didn't give anything away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good stuff. <laughs> I should be in marketing. I can lie through my teeth. <laughs> Oi! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <dude. laughs> it's fine. You haven't been assimilated yet. Thank you. <laughs> and Eddie's best moments. The Doctor finally getting to show how you're supposed to react when you see inside the TARDIS and the moments of realisation for River. The sonic trial is a little silly, as is the Doctor wearing antlers, though it does make me laugh. Ah, I doubt we'll ever get to see River again, and I have mixed feelings about it. She's one of my favourite television characters ever, performed to perfection by Alex Kingston. But this was an absolutely fantastic send-off for her. It's the happy ending we were all denied during Forest of the Dead. I don't know that I can ever justify giving an episode a perfect score. Therefore, I have no choice, says Eddie, but to give this a 4.9 out of 5 sunsets that will never admire me back. Until next time, rock on. You rock on, Eddie Rock. You rock on. Holy smokes. <laughs> Huge heart. Massive heart. Massive heart. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great stuff, You're making me rethink my score, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, I wish there was a way I could get more Eddie Rock in my life than one review a week. Fret not, Drew, there is a way. Hooray! <laughs> Head on over to Twitter. He can be found at the Eddie. I don't know if Jim's screaming or yawning. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Nice. Thank you very much, Eddie. Probably just noise. <laughs> <laughs> no. it was just Dr. Claw. Oh, okay. Sorry, neighbours. <laughs> I'll get you next time, the Eddie Rock. <laughs> who's next? I'll tell you who's next. It's 
Andy Parkinson. Hello, Andy. Hi, Hello, Andy. Ed. Hey, Andy. <laughs> Hi gang, here's my review of The Husbands of River Song. Very appropriate intro. Okay, so it's a Christmas episode. But aside from the opening few minutes, there's very little Christmas in evidence. Especially when the story involves the decapitation of First King Hydroflax, quickly followed by Nardal and Ramon. What is in evidence is some fabulous performances from Capaldi and Alex Kingston. They riff off each other brilliantly, with River frequently coming out on top. Hey all. There are too many fun <laughs> lines to list, but among my favourites are... I'm going to need a bigger flow chart. I'm an archaeologist. Look, I've got a trowel. I'm never sure. I don't like being sure about things. One minute you're sure, the next everybody turns into lizards and a piano falls on you. <laughs> I can tell that that's from near the beginning of the episode. It is. And it's a great line in a great part of the episode. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> the supporting cars are a bit of a mixed bag, however, with Matt Lucas largely underused and reduced to a whiny character with not much to do. Greg Davis is much better in porting his Taskmaster persona into Hydroflax. He also gets to do some wonderful threats, even when his head is in a bag. Altogether, continues Andy, it's a fun episode in stark contrast to the darkness, rage and sadness of the previous two stories. And although there's some melancholy at the end, it delivers thanks to Capaldi and Kingston's wonderful performances and some good writing. Whilst it may not be a classic story, it does what Doctor Who should, entertain. Dang right it does. And Andy awards this story 4.3 Sonic Trowels out of 5. Adding to all you guys in podcast land. May you all live happily ever after. Oh, sorry, I'm getting a little feclamped over here. Thank you very much, Andy. Thank you, Andy. Excellent, Minnie. As always, I bet podcast land just wants to head on over to Twitter and give Andy a gigantic Christmas hug in February. (laughs) (laughs) How can they do that? Why, they can follow told Andy on Twitter at Caffrey's 71. That's 71. Caffrey's. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, ooh, who's next? (gasps) It's none other than the long-awaited return of Tracy from America. Uh, Hello, Tracy. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Two episodes in a row. Welcome back, I think it's fair to say. Definitely. Hello, all on the new Who track. Begins Tracy. Glad to be here. I've been hanging on as best I can, but I've missed this greatly. We have missed you loads, Tracy. Thanks for coming back. Tracy says, well, I loved this one. Loved it. There's romance, murder, time wibbling, and throughout it all, the running banter of River and the Doctor. Best bits? The Doctor acting shocked at the unique properties of the TARDIS. All the times the word Doctor comes up and River just doesn't get it. And Tracy moves on to list some best lines. This one from River. Hush, Mummy and Daddy are busy. And River again. I'm an archaeologist from the future. I dug you up. Second dead. <laughs> That's my favourite line. <laughs> This episode encapsulates something really evocative about the kind of love the Doctor and River share. River gives a monologue about how loving the Doctor is like loving a sunset, which he later claims was a play for time. But it's difficult to escape the very real place this comes from. River has a depth of admiration for the Doctor that is so expansive, so all-encompassing, it borders on worship. She must have difficulty imagining those feelings might be returned. Yet, to her surprise, there he stands next to her. To discover the sunset actually does love you back, well, I fully get why River needs a minute to recover. Oh, oh, don't we all? (laughs) River and the Doctor both have other loves. I like to think of them as time polyamorous, since they often meet when one of them is unaware of their marriage. 
but together they make something both unique and powerful. Although I tend to reject the notion of one true love, perhaps I can state it this way. The Doctor and River each has a part of the other's soul. Their love tells me fundamental things about the nature of my own reality. Holy moly, Tracy. <laughs> wow, this really has affected you. Yeah. And Tracy concludes, therefore I give the following rating. A love that is the walls of the universe. Holy moly. <laughs> Wowzers. I feel like wow. a 5.0 doesn't quite cover that. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's pretty huge. We've waited about 1 hour 55 into this episode, but some real poetry there, Tracy. Yeah, very nicely done. Great stuff. And if people have forgotten, where on earth can they go to follow Tracy? Well, they can go to... That's Fountain Tracy backwards almost. <laughs> if that worked over Skype, then we're legend. I think that was perfectly in sync. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Bing bong. That's not it. We have one more late listener mini from Michael Ridgway. <laughs> oh, I can't sing without being in the next room. Ridgway. Michael begins with some likes. The Sonic Trowel. Hydroflax. Both head and chunky Warhammer 40,000 armor. Third, like insectoid waiters and creepy gooey brain people. You probably shouldn't do that in a restaurant. And Michael follows up with an equal number of beefs. Why did Hydroflax remove his head in the first place and make himself super vulnerable? Good point, Michael. I'd be surprised if we didn't cover that in the episode. Next, beef. River's inability to suspect the Doctor for eons lands her firmly in total moron territory, unless she is faking it. We didn't cover this in the episode, at least not sufficiently. Michael, you could not be more correct. And Michael's final beef is the naff dispatching of Hydroflax's robot armour with intergalactic bank firewalls. Lame. And Michael's summary is an enjoyable fast-paced romp and rather moving finale. Twelve and River had more, here's that word again, chemistry than the Doctor's past incarnations. A shame, perhaps, that this is their only outing together. Plus, it's nice to see the Twelfth Doctor smile for an entire episode. And Michael's rating is 3.4 out of 5 gross gooey brain people you would not want to dine beside. Yuck. Thank you so much for that mini, Michael. It's never over till it's over. And if you want to follow Michael online, and if you're Compost Mentis, you surely will, you can find him on Twitter at bad underscore movie underscore club. That's just what I said. Bing bong. Thank you so much, Podcast Land. More than a handful. Mm-mm. Unless you I have mean, six fingers on a hand. Well, yes. Uh, <laughs> what do you do with that extra sixth finger? Let us know. Yeah. Do you want to visit after lockdown? Yeah, okay. <laughs> so what have we got coming up next? Mm. Jim, you got the inside skinny on the Classic Channel. Well, of course I do. And it will be four to Doomsday. Ooh, looking forward to that. Lovely. And in the new Who channel, Marie... Well, we have the magnificent The Return of Dr. Mysterio. That's your favourite, isn't it, Drew? That's a nice title. <laughs> Are you bringing your five paddle out? <laughs> if I can put a minus on it? Have I got a minus paddle? <laughs> I don't like to hate on things, but I'm gonna. I am gonna. <laughs> and Leon, you keep your ears to the ground. What's coming up in the audio channel? Well... No idea, but please, Podcast Land, keep those suggestions coming. We are still deliberating. We're still thinking about it. We've just been very busy in the bonus Who territory to actually pick an audiobook, but we will return. Yes, and in that bonus Who territory, 
as some of you will know, since we've sent out an email asking you to be part of it, it will be strange readings, recording in March, dropping who knows when. It depends how much copious, amazing post-production Leon dumps on it. It's going to be amazing. It'll arrive end of March. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> second week of March. <laughs> March the second. <laughs> 2028. 20, yeah, we'll see. Right, so what if people want to follow us in the interim before all those excellent upcoming episodes? Jim, where can you be found on the onlines? I can be found on that there Twitter. You can tweet me up at Jimmy the Who. Jimmy the what now? Jimmy the Wibbly Woo, no, I believe it is. Jimmy the no, Wibbly no, Woo, no, that's no, really good. No, Almost no, a decent friend. No. <laughs> No, 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 no. Oh, he stopped. I think he just said it was at Jimmy the Who. No, 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 no. No, no, there's no Jimmy. There's no limit, yeah, yeah. Well, who could fail to follow those simple commands? Marie, where can you be found on the onlines? Why, I can be found on that there old Instagram. On the ground. On the ground. You putting some stuff on Insta? I Insta at Ham, Mash, and Jelly. Mm, those, those are my favorite, 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 favorite things. Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> tasty. Leon, I definitely know you're on the onlines. Oh, a bajillion percent. You can find me on Twitter as well. High five me. I will high five you right back. I can be found at Ponkin for reasons unknown. Yeah, dark historical because reasons it's... we don't care to repeat. <laughs> because it's Christmas, we should sing it. So here he is, Mary Ponkin. What? What? Yeah. <laughs> what are we singing? That's what JD, that's what JD oh. said last time. Oh, oh he yeah. did. He yes, he did. Yeah, and then he sang for you. So let's all sing. It goes P O N K N Ponkin. I can feel the Christmas cheer. Thanks. I was trying to harmonise. <laughs> oh, it's lovely. <laughs> What about you, Drew? I can be found at Drew Back When, because it sounds like Who Back When. That is some excellent branding. Why, thanks very much. And that's it. Whoop, whoop. Woo. Thanks so much for tuning into this second go-around podcast land and making it so unique and worthwhile. Until the next time, catch earbuds on the flip side. Bye-bye. See ya. Ciao. Juicy. Ta-da. Love you. <laughs> bye. <laughs> Love you, bye. No, you hang up. <laughs> Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?